right. Well, we value passion. That's what we're getting into today. We dig holes in roofs. We'll do whatever it takes for the mission that God has given us. We'll do whatever it takes to bring glory to God. We'll do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus. So we dig holes in roofs. We are a passionate people. We know part of all of these values is part of it speaking into who we are and part of it is speaking into who we hope to be. So I know for some of us, maybe we feel a little less passionate than others or a little more passionate than others. And it's all right. We can all be pushed and challenged that we want to be people who are filled with passion and filled with passion for all these like other values, the stuff that we've been talking about already, truth, grace, people. We are passionate for these things. We're passionate for the work of God. And even as we saw in this family that just came up and shared with us that they are passionate for what they are doing, that they're willing to go through so many struggles and difficulties to keep reaching people for Jesus. So for you to think about what are you passionate about. Now there's just all sorts of regular things in our life that aren't the Sunday school answer of Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus, right? Like I get that. For me, as most of you probably know, I'm super passionate about U2. The band U2 is my favorite band in the world. And I love them. I've loved them since middle school, junior high, all the way up. And now things that you're passionate about, it's you know, things that you're willing to spend your time, your energy, your money on. I've been to something like 25 concerts of U2, and they're not cheap. So over the course of all of those, now it was also over the course of probably like 30 years or something, but uh, I'm willing to, to spend all day waiting in the hot sun, standing up so that I can be in the front of that general admission section. And so you're standing for like 10 hours or something like that, and it's crazy, but I love it. And it's something that I love to, I, I, I even listen to a podcast about how the theology of YouTube music has developed and progressed over the years this week. You know, it's just, that's the kind of thing where you're thinking about that. Uh, I've also been passionate for, in the last few years, for triathlon. And when you're passionate for something, this was at uh, Catalina Triathlon, the most beautiful little setup I had for transition there. But when you are passionate for something, you're willing to say, okay, I'm going to get up at 4.30 in the morning on the work day to get my workout in so that I can get to work on time, right? That sort of a thing. You're willing to go for it. I spend my day off instead of going to the beach and relaxing or eating nachos, watching football, which a lot of times I'd rather do. I'm doing a five-hour bike ride or whatever that is, right? And so that kind of stuff, we're willing to pour ourselves, our energy, our, our money, our time, and our, our just our, our mind's focus into these things. And some of these are just for fun, right? But what are you passionate about? What are these things that you care about? Maybe they're just like hobbies and interests or sports or things like that, but it could be a cause that you are passionate about. It could even be something that's uh, uh, an injustice in the world or something that gets your righteous anger sort of burning, something that you care about in this world in that way. You're passionate about what needs to happen in something. It could be work. It could be family. Whatever that might be, what are you passionate about? And whatever that is, and what I hope for is that that is also not just you 2 and triathlon, but that's for the mission of God in this world, that we are all passionate about it. And we are willing to dig holes in roofs for that 
passion, right? With that passion, we will dig a hole in the roof. It's my favorite of all of the subtitles of these values that we have. Passion, we dig holes in roofs. And this comes from this story in Mark 2. So I want us to look into this story. If you've got your Bible there, we'll be reading today in the New American Standard Bible. Uh, but Mark 2.1, you've got this story where Jesus has just healed a leper. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, are starting to look into Jesus a little closer. They're starting to investigate him. Is this person a threat to our power? Is this person the Messiah? Is this just a charlatan or a fraud? Who is this person of Jesus that there's been this, this uh, said that he can do these miracles? And then it says in verse 1, when he'd come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. All right, so Jesus is at home. He's in a home. It might be, we think, at his house or the house he was staying. Simon Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum. And so this was kind of a home base. It's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee there in this uh, primarily Jewish area in this Galilee region. And he goes there and it says, Many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. All right, so let's kind of get our, our minds into this whole situation. What you'll see on the screen here is a house, uh, a recreation of an ancient house that's in a village called Katsrin in Israel today. And so we go visit this on our Israel trips. We have one coming, calvarylife.org slash Israel, if you'd like to check it out. Uh, but uh, this is this place that you go and you hang out in this, little, in this little recreation of a house. And looking down this way is where you've got the uh, kind of kitchen area. You can see there's a little doorway to the right that leads into like a kind of an animal stable area. And there's a central area where people can hang out during the day or even sleep at night. And then just flipped around your perspective, looking the other way, little uh, ladder up to the upper room, that stable area down to the bottom left, and a door to the right. Now you can see even in the, the first picture as well, the roof, how the ceiling, how you've got these different types of sticks and boards all there together. And there's like mud and thatch above that. And so this is where, imagine this whole room is just packed and filled with people. People then flowing out outside even that are filling this entire space. And you can see even here how you can see it's not just like this one huge room with kind of a, uh, you know, an A-frame roof or something like that that we would have. There's these levels you can kind of pop up and get to these spots. Now imagining this whole place being totally packed and Jesus is speaking and then it says, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, you could see it would be a little distracting. <laughs> Am I right? Like, you have to, like, this is crazy. When you think about what's happening here and all the sounds and all the stuff coming down and Jesus is like, I'm, I'm trying to preach here, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm telling a story. But the roof is being demolished. These guys are vandals, okay? They are destroying property and they're having to disrupt this entire thing. All right, I think we're good. I think we're good. 
I'm a little nervous of what else could fall. But, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> that was amazing. Well done. Thank you very much to the incredible Ryan Rail. Now, um, being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. These friends were willing to do whatever it took. They were willing to make the biggest disruption, the biggest disturbance. They didn't care that there were religious leaders watching this guy that maybe some people thought was the Messiah speaking. They said, if he's the Messiah, we got to get our friend to him because there's hope for our friend in the presence of this man. And they dug a hole in a roof. They were passionate. And they were willing to do whatever it took. And what happens is, it says, check this out. It says, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It says, Jesus, seeing their faith, not his faith, their faith, the faith of the friends that were willing to do whatever it took, said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, I'll just tell the rest of it, Jesus then reads the minds of the religious leaders that are in their minds thinking, what, forgive sins? Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus is like, fine, if you think that's weird, whatever, go ahead. Pick up your pallet and walk. And the man is healed and walks out as Jesus has forgiven his sins and healed him of being paralyzed. Seeing their faith, seeing their passion. I believe that passion is an expression of faith. When we have faith in something or someone, we will be passionate and do whatever it takes to get people or ourselves into his presence, right? They had faith that Jesus could heal their friend. They weren't even thinking about forgiveness yet, but he got all of it, right? He got everything. He got healing and he got forgiveness. So don't stay on the edge. Our passion is an expression of our faith. Their action demonstrated their faith and their passion. And so I encourage you to dig holes in roofs, to get your friends, to get yourself into the presence of Jesus. God has called us to get people there, into his presence where they'll find healing and where they will find forgiveness. So we want to do whatever it takes to get there, to get into that spot. And so the way we want to, it's like somehow how we want to think about this and what we want to do with it is that our passion bucket, maybe you've heard this expression before, but maybe not, I'll explain it to you. But our passion bucket needs to be filled up and then poured out and then repeat. And keep going. Repeat, 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 repeat. So we've got this bucket of passion that needs to be filled up. Now, this, this expression, passion bucket, I was excited to tell you about it until about 11 p.m. last night because it's uh, a Rick Neuheisel of UCLA quote. I am pushing this. Okay, there we go. Uh, so Rick Neuheisel was, used to be the coach of UCLA. It was, everything was going good for UCLA until they lost last night in the last minute of the game, which was kind of a bummer. But <laughs> anyway, uh, that's not the point. But what this guy, Rick Neuheisel, had this quote where he said, um, he said, when you're at UCLA, you have to have your passion bucket full when you play the Trojans. And so he's talking about playing their biggest rival, USC, and that you got to have your passion bucket full. And what happened was that this became sort of 
of like a, a viral meme of sorts for back then. And it was like people began to sort of mock and spoof this whole thing of passion bucket, you know, because it's such a coach speak sort of language, right? Like have your passion bucket full. And then he said this on the Dan Patrick's radio show. And then what happened is other people started saying it, just like make kind of make it fun, but kind of playing off of it. Kobe Bryant said it in an interview once. Bob Costas said it in an interview. Other ESPN hosts were saying it all the time. And it just became this kind of joke about got to have your passion bucket full, right? This whole thing. And so I just loved it. I think it's fun. And I think it's funny that other people were doing that. But for us, when it comes to this life of faith, our passion bucket needs to be filled. And then it needs to be poured out. Like we can't just be filling, you know, getting filled up and then just taking more and more and more and more. And that's a lot of times like our, our knowledge bucket can't just be filled or whatever. Our, our, we can't just take and take and take and not give. But we get filled with passion. And I think we get filled with passion by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that the Holy Spirit fills us with his power and passion. And then we want to pour that out to others. Is that something that's happening in your life? And then you repeat and repeat and repeat. That we dig holes in roofs for not just the things that are our hobbies or that we enjoy, but for evangelism, for prayer, for showing the love of God to others, for serving those that are in need, for biblical justice, for worship, expressing our passion in that. And we bang on the door of God's heart. We don't just lightly knock we don't just kind of like hope someone's there, right? We bang on the door of God's heart. When, when you look at the biblical stories, especially even in the Gospels, what you see is Jesus highlighting, telling stories about, and encouraging what feels like the rudest, most disruptive, persistent people. You've got the, the widow that keeps going back to the king and asking over and over and over and over again till he finally grants her a request just so she'll be quiet. You've got the guy banging on the door of the house late at night until the owner comes down and responds. You've got blind Bartimaeus just shouting out, Jesus, Jesus, as Jesus is walking by, screaming at him. You have the woman until Jesus finally stops and responds, and people are kind of annoyed, right? There's a lot of times you'll see the disciples being like, whoa, 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 don't, don't bug the teacher. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's good. What they did was good. And then here, people destroying someone's roof. So they can get to Jesus, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's it, right? He's highlighting that as what we should do, that we do whatever it takes to get into his presence, because that's where we find healing, and that's where we find forgiveness. We want to be in the presence of Jesus. So think about what you would do. What would you do to see a friend healed? What would you do to see that person you love that's far from God, to receive Jesus and be close to him and experience his grace and his forgiveness and his truth and all of that. You'd do anything, right? We would do anything. So we need to be people of passion that are willing to do whatever it takes to see people come into the presence of Jesus and find that healing. I, I have had a passion for worship I feel like for a long time in my life, and what I mean is worship through singing, 
And I love it. I've always loved it. I've always been pretty passionate about it, that expression of it with, with passion. In fact, I was a little worried that I was going to, this morning as we were singing, I was um, pretty excited and I was kind of like worried that I was going to blow my voice out because I kind of keep, I've had this issue with my throat, but I got to be careful when we sing. So I'm kind of like trying to passionately sing softly, which is hard for me, right? The scriptures are always talking about a shout to God and singing with all of your heart and clash of cymbals and the sounding of trumpets. It's never, there's not really verses. I think it's good to have some like intimate worship too, but like you don't see a lot of verses of just, hey, just sing real quiet. You know, just kind of sit back and relax. You know, there, there's no verses about that. It's all about singing out with full-throated shouts and passion to our God. And so we want to be able to worship as much as we can in song. And that way I find myself doing that to um, like whatever, any kind of song, ancient hymns or modern hymns or modern worship songs or the songs like the hippie church I grew up in that was our kind of like the Jesus movement stuff, which we actually sang one today of, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, is a Keith Green song from the hippie days. And uh, so it doesn't matter what era it's from, we sing it all out with passion to our God. I'll sing it out with passion sometimes uh, in a room by myself with headphones on and I'm singing out. I'll sing it out while hiking if I think I'm by myself and then I get embarrassed when I come around a corner and then there's people, you know. But like, I I love to do it in church too. But I just, I love expressing that to God because I feel like that's something that music does for us and in us is it allows us to be able to express our love and our passion for God in, in this kind of way that gets out even the emotions that are inside of us. And it's a good and wonderful thing. And so I encourage you to be thinking about how does that get expressed for you in worship and how does that get expressed then in the way you live your life. That we should be passionate people. Passionate for simple things, but passionate for very important things as well. There was a German philosopher named George Hegel that said, nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without passion. And interestingly enough, that's true, but it's true for good things, and it can also be true for bad things. Nothing great or big in the world has happened without passion. Like you can be passionate for great evil and do some really awful things in this world in a way that expresses passion. And so we have to be careful because we can get in trouble when we dig holes in the wrong roofs. Okay? Imagine these guys all go up and they're trying to get their friend to Jesus and they go to the, the wrong house. They go to the neighbor's house. They dig out the roof and they're like, there's nobody down there. And they're like, oh no, what do we do? And they kind of run like kids that were toilet papering and then the cops show up. You know, it's like, ah, oh, scatter, right? Like that's so, it's like, we want to make sure that we're digging our holes in the right roofs. And so sometimes that we can be about and passionate for things that aren't good for us. Uh, The love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself, but probably money being your passion. That's the wrong roof to dig a hole in, yet it's probably the main roof that people dig, right? So we have to be careful that we're focusing on the right things. It can also just be trivial, meaningless things, right? I mean, sports or whatever, like it's okay to be passionate about these things. I'm not going to come up here and say that's all wrong, But I'm going to say that there are things that at times that passion can become idolatry. It becomes a God above Jesus, right? 
becomes a God above the, or it becomes a mission above the mission that Jesus has given us. And so there's got to be some discernment and carefulness with that. Now, there's even, I, I'm going to highlight two people that don't know. I didn't ask permission. I don't care because they're nice things I'm going to say about them. But um, Michelle Gustafson, who goes to Calvary here, she is passionate about Zumba. At the, <laughs> there she is. I didn't know where you were. Yes, Zumba is like, Workout dancing, right? Like, it's not something that I think you should dedicate your life's, like, purpose to or, like, what you should be passionate about. But what I love is I know, like, three people that go to Calvary here now and know Jesus now because they met Michelle. <laughs> There's people right next to her back there. <laughs> because they met Michelle at a Zumba class. That's awesome, right? She's taken the thing that she's passionate about and turned it into a passion for the Lord. I think about uh, Jeff McKee, who loves baseball. Baseball is a growingly more boring sport the more I watch it. But, um, <laughs> sorry, all the baseball. I've just got, like, hate mail now for days. But, no, I'm just kidding. But, but baseball, like, is fine. Baseball's great. It's great to be passionate about sports. And you can love baseball. Jeff is passionate about baseball. But he isn't just... Like, it's interesting to watch, like, how his life went with this. Their family had a family business that made wood baseball bats that pros use. And he was passionate about that. But then he thought, you know, maybe there's something different or something more. And he began to work for RBI Baseball with the Angels that helps serve un underserved communities. And he thought, this is great, but maybe there's even something more. And then he began to work in, with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in baseball and other sports of seeing coaches and, and student athletes come to know Jesus. And he's passionate for that. So he's taken the thing that he loves and he's passionate it for that could just seem kind of dumb or whatever, like just, it's just sports, right? But then he's taken it and turned it into a kingdom mission. And so I love that. How can we be thinking in that sort of way with the things that God has made us passionate about in this life? And to avoid digging holes in the wrong roofs, we need to return to our first love, the core things of our faith, Return to Jesus and the deeds we did at first. Remembering that. Remembering what God has done in our lives when we first met him and how we responded to that. And then channel all those other passions into that kind of way. To say, Lord, I want to be about the core things that you're about. I want to be about your word. I want to be about evangelism. I want to be about prayer. I want to be about community. I want to be about helping mentor and disciple other believers. Like, I want to be about this. That's what I'm going to take all of my passions and turn it into. And so I just want to encourage us as we're thinking about passion to think along these lines. But be careful, but also know that you don't have to give up the things that you love and enjoy. God's not calling you to just completely get rid of those things in your life. But maybe you can turn those into a Zumba class for Jesus. <laughs> and so I love that. But I want to invite up now as we keep considering this, uh, a very passionate guy that I think is awesome is our worship pastor, Josh Wathen. And he's going to talk us through the rest of this into more about how God is passionate for us. Let's welcome him. You know, church can often feel like we're walking into a space where we're doing things because the pastor said so or because God said so. And there are many times in our life where we do submit ourselves to the ways of God because he's our Lord. When our king commands something of us, we do it. 
But there's another reason why we at Calvary are so passionate about living out the ways of God in our life. And that is because he was first passionate about us. Our God dug the first roof. You see, before time even began, our God was perfect, complete, and whole. There is nothing that we can do for him or bring him that will make him better. And yet in the midst of his perfection and in spite of our brokenness, he still valued us. He still wanted communion with us. And he said, these are my people, my children, and I long to be with them. And so he reaches down in the form of his son Jesus and tears through the roof that was our sin, our sin that had the ability to separate us from him for all all eternity, and he takes the weight of that sin upon himself so that we might find life. Now, you might be thinking to yourself today, well, how is that possible? What have I done to earn such a fate? And that's the point. You've done nothing. There is nothing that you have done right to make him value you anymore, and at the same time, there is nothing you've done wrong to make him value you any less. He simply values you because you are his creation. There's a song that we sing here at Calvary called Reckless Love, and one of my favorite lines from the song says, there's no shadow you won't light up, there's no mountain you won't climb up to come after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down to come after me. And I believe that if the rhyming structure worked better for this song, they could have added, there's no roof you won't dig through. And there's a story in Luke chapter 15 known as the parable of the prodigal son. If you've been in the church for a long time, you know this well, but if you're new to this, here's a brief snapshot. There's a man with two sons, and when the younger son receives his inheritance from his father, he goes off to a distant land, spending it very frivolously, and then eventually finds himself starving in the midst of a famine. So he goes out and gets a job working in the fields feeding pigs, and the Bible says that he was starving so much during this time that even pig food looked good. Good. And, but he knew, this son knew that his father had stored up enough food to last through the famine. And so reluctantly, he goes home, head hanging in shame, praying that his father will forgive him. And when he finally gets close enough, his father sees him in the distance. And all of a sudden, he picks up his robe and he starts running and running until he gets to his son and he embraces him and he kisses him. And he calls for his servants to fetch him his finest clothes and to prepare a, a meal for a, for a feast. And the son says, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father calls for celebration and he says, rejoice for my son was lost, but now he is found. Now keep in mind, the, the ancient honor code would have brought shame against this father in this moment. It was absolutely disgraceful to pick up your robe, exposing your legs and to run towards anything, much less towards a son that had just brought shame on your entire family. But this father didn't care. Because no matter how much money was spent, no matter how much embarrassment was brought upon the family name, his boy had come home. Friends, this is how our God feels about you when you return home to him. 
And if you jump back just a little bit before, in that same chapter, there's a story known as the parable of the lost sheep where a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one starts to stray away. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after this one. And when he finds it, he picks it up onto his back and carries it home. And when he gets home, he calls his friends together and says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. And then in verse 7, Jesus says in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Friends, it does not matter what you have done or where you have been. Regardless of where you find yourself today, you need to know this, that our God is passionately chasing after you. It does not matter how many times you stumble and fall. Our God will always leave the 99 to chase after you and he will reach out his hand and he will pick you up onto his back when you have no strength or will to stand and he will carry you back into his love and grace and all of heaven will rejoice for the one that was found. Come on church, that's good news today. The ultimate point of all of it being this, our God is determined to be with you. Psalm 139, starting in verse 7, says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Our God is determined to be with you. He is dedicated to restoring your life from the, from the brokenness that has marred your existence. He, he is dedicated to washing away the, the stains of sin and shame with the blood that was spilled by his son Jesus. Friends, hear me when I say this. I believe that these passages we've read about today, the passage about these friends who dug through the roof to get to Jesus, the passage about the prodigal son returning home to a loving father, and the passage of this sheep who left the 99 to go find the one, these are not just passages that display what we should be willing to do for our relationship with God, but rather and more importantly, they are an embodiment of what God has already done and will continue to do for us. So the question today is this, how will you respond to this work, this incredible work that's been done on your behalf? Eric taught on the value of grace a couple of weeks ago, and he made this really important point that grace was not actually free. It came at a very high, heavy, brutally painful cost. Jesus had to be put to death for it. But our God loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his own life so that this grace could be free for you and I. The work has already been done. The shadow has been lit up. The mountain has been climbed. The walls have been kicked down. And I believe there are many lies represented in this room, whether it's from your past, whether it's from mistakes you've made, or whether it's lies that have been spoken over you, possibly even by other Christians, that the Lord wants to tear away and he wants to draw you into the truth of the reality of who he is and how much he loves you. So we're going to enter into a time of singing together, and I believe this time is supposed to represent a couple of different things. Number one, I believe this time is supposed to represent a moment of breakthrough for many of you. There are many of you in this room who have walked in the knowledge of this for a really long time. Notice how I said knowledge. You've had it all up here. You have all the right answers. You have every perfect Sunday school response. You could beat anyone in a theological debate anytime, any place. 
but you have not allowed it to go from here to here. You have not allowed yourself the grace and the freedom to go from the rigidity of religion to the freedom and abundance of relationship. And I don't say this as an attack. I say this from experience. I myself have been a Christian my entire life, and I am just now recently getting to the point where I am able to move from simple knowledge of his love for me to actually living in the reality of what that love looks like in my life. And I believe there's a similar invitation waiting for many of you today. And it's like Eric said a couple weeks ago. It's not like this God brought you this gift, is shoving it on you and says, open it or else but rather it's the joy of a father who bought this incredible gift for their kids and is so excited to see them open it because he knows the joy and the abundance that will fill them when they open it. Would you take that first step from knowledge, from simple knowledge into the reality of his love for you? And then I believe there's another group of you where maybe this is all very new. Maybe you've never heard of this Jesus or maybe you've heard about a different kind of Jesus. A Jesus that is all about fire and brimstone, the turn or burn Jesus. And while I believe these ideas were communicated with good intention, I also know of the immense fear and damage that that approach can cause. And I believe the Lord wants to tear away any unhealthy fears or anxieties you have about him. And now don't misunderstand me. There is a holy and healthy fear we should be walking in with the Lord because he is our king and that comes with weight. But a life with Jesus is meant to bring excitement and freedom and abundance to us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when you hand your heart to Jesus, it's not meant to come back with new chains that make you just feel bound to a different master, but rather it's, it's to bring life and freedom and joy as you live your life out for him. For those of you that it applies, would you make that first time decision today to submit to a God who gave everything for you because he loves you endlessly? Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful and grateful for your love that has never stopped chasing us. Your love that will leave no obstacle unturned in order to get to us. And Father, we, we repent of where we've lost sight of the most important thing in our life, which is you. And so God, now as we spend the next few moments together in, in worship of you and of your name, God, I pray that something would come alive in us, whether that's a first-time decision or whether that's going from knowledge to living in the reality. Or God, even if we're already here, if it's just a simple expression of passion to you, remembering why, why this is such an amazing thing to be excited about. God, move in us now, transform us, and change us into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and express our passionate worship to our King now.